sisters. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what this world is coming to. What up, everybody? Welcome to the Bodega Border Group Podcast, Volume 62. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Thanks for spending a little time with us. I always enjoy to know that you guys are out there and listening to what I'm doing and what we're doing. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 62. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch, blog posts, info, videos, anything we're working on, that's a good central hub to check it out. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. Now, it's a little crazy here in Southern California, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, obviously, in Orange County, the beaches got closed down, and I'm going to get into that in a later segment. Same thing, COVID, COVID, COVID. You know, things are looking a little bit better. The curve's flattening out. We had a little spike here in Orange County in the last couple of days, so that's something I will discuss in a little bit. But in general, it looks like, you know, our country is kind of getting to this, this flatten out point. People are surfing a little bit more around the world in controlled settings, and I like to see that. I heard that there's some good surf in Florida and in the Outer Banks, and a lot of my friends are having some some good times out there. Good fishing, too. Uh, Jay Quinney was catching some dope, dope slobs uh, out in Florida. My whole OBX crew has been surf casting, catching some great, great fish out there. So um, everybody's making the best of this. I think, you know, it's going to get better. It's not going to get worse as long as we keep doing what we're doing. And it's my job here to entertain you. So how am I going to entertain you this episode? Well, first off, uh, this episode's featured interview is with none other than East Coast surfer extraordinaire, Mr. Mikey DeTemple. Amazing surfer, amazing filmmaker, one of Long Island's own. I was supposed to do this interview down in, uh, well, up in the Rockways and just didn't have time, so we had to do it remotely. But I'm glad he took some time out and we talk about growing up in Long Island, moving to Florida, contest surfing, his filmmaking, all that kind of stuff. I also get a little in-depth on these beach closures in Orange County, what's going on, what could be done. The latest that I've heard, obviously the situation is always changing and uh, just for us as surfers, what we can do about it. Uh, also got a couple of short takes. Uh, first short take is a little clip put out by Critter Toy Company. Some of the homies from LA stoked on this clip with Joe Rippenbaugh. The second is a short take that our boy Kevin Jansen Robots From put together featuring Scotty Stopnik uh, between two jetties. Again, I, I was making the joke to Kevin, it's like I work for him. I'm just promoting his work all the time because he's just putting out amazing work always. And the last short take is a clip called uh, Road to the Mingle that was released by the people who do, who do the single fin mingle that didn't happen this year in New Zealand. So this is a really cool clip that they put out and they sent over my way and I wanted to promote it. But since on this episode we have one of Long Island's own, I wanted to do a Long Island-centric episode. So all the tracks on this episode feature an MC or producer or talent in the hip-hop world that's from Long Island. Now, a lot of people don't realize a lot of random MCs were born there, lived there, grew up there. I mean, Bismarck Key went to Patchogue High School. 
Method Man's originally from Hempstead. So you're going to find a lot of surprises on this episode. So just sit back, relax, listen to the tracks, and I'll check in with you guys in a little bit. Peace. The rhythm, the rebel, without a pause, I'm lowering my level. The hard rama, where you never been, I'm in. You want styling? You know it's time again. D, the enemy, telling you to hear it. They praise the music, it's time to play the lyrics. Some say no to the album, the show, bum rush the sound. I made a year ago, I guess you know, you guess I'm just a radical. Not on sabbatical, yes, to make it critical. The only part of your body should be part of it too. Path of power on the hour from the rebel of you. Hey, yo, Chuck, man, I don't understand. Never play me All the mix They just okay me now Knowing it grown When they clock in my zone There's no sneaking and taking Everything now the brother owns Hard. My calling card Recorded and ordered Supporter of Chess and Mart Loud and proud Kicking live Next poet supreme Loop for truth Bazooka the scheme Flavor A rebel in his own mind Supporter of my rhyme Designed to scatter A line of suckers Who claim I do crime They are my time Dig it Hey yo Chuck I think we take it short Show Yo, 
technique. Surprise. Matter of fact, the 
the back of vision, my perspective hot shot. Look at what you got, I super egg infect the speed knot. Yo, it seems stunning every time I see the thought coming. Hundred eyes are running, time to back the tool and start gunning. Let me tell you something, you ain't saying nothing with your fussing. Nothing got me cussing, make you like a muffin full of stuffing. While the world is see ya. Leaders out the new ones in the place to be for 93. What's next? We come fresh, no don't do what you want to do. What's next? You know we're wicked, I'm full of happiness. What's next? Come on with the yadas, we're not for your breath. What's next? For my brother, see Boogie Brown to come down. Switch 
your mind, let your conscience be free and get down to the sounds of your PMD. But you should keep quiet while the MC rap. But if you're tired, then go take a nap. Or stay awake and watch the show I take. Because right now, I'm about to shake and bend. The E I C K is my name, I spell. Thanks to the clientele, yo, I rock well. I'm not an MC who talking all that junk about who can beat who. Sound like a pump. I just get down and I go for mine. Say check one, two, I run down the line. To the average MC. I'm known as the Terminator, funky beat maker, new Jack Sterney, destroying a ploy when your rhymes are not void. Never sweating your girl, YP, cause she's a schizoid. When I'm on the scene, I always rock the spot. I grab the steel with the crown on top. In the beginning, I like to let my rhymes flow. And at 12, I press cruise control. Sit back and relax, let my rhymes tax. Maintain them C's while the double max. Always calm under pressure, no need to act ill. Listen when I tell you, boy, you got to chill. No computer information on rap Like the BRZ Marquises I make your toes tap I format the rhymes Step by step Make them sound deaf To maintain my rap Prepare to come off In case of a diss Now worry about the thing Cause we can do this I can turn the party out Just by standing still Make a lady scream and shout While the brothers act ill Take total control Of your body and soul Pack a nine in my pants When it's time to roll I'm the P-E-E-M-D-E-E -E -E. And one thing I hate Is a bite in the sea When I enter the party Suckers Always form a line, then they ease their way up and try to bite my lines. I did thousands of shows, dish many faces, and deal with New Jack on a one to one basis. But every now and then a sucker MC gets courageous, and like an epidemic, it becomes contagious. But never the least, they all RIP. For all those underwear, it means rest in peace, cause MD stands for microphone doctor in the capital P, capital M, capital D, E, D's, no doubt the G rocker. Don't like to get ill, but if I have to, I kill. So believe me, boy. You got the shit. Catch every word I'm saying, no there's no delaying Don't hesitate to motivate the crowd I'm not playing Seeing is believing, you catch my drift Or try to interact because I'm just too swift I'm so swift and that's a natural fact I'm like Zorro, I'm all E in your back I don't swing on no ropes or no iron cords The only weapon is my rapping sword Intimidate them seeds with the tone of my vocal throne When I'm dishing on the microphone Cause I'm the funky rhyme maker MC on the takeout, the one who likes to max and relax and when it's time, it's your dig em smack. I keep the hands clapping, finger snapping, feet tapping. When it's time to roll, Uzi patrols packing. The P and D, the mic's my only friend. And through the course of the party, I kill again and again. So if you're thinking about battling, you better come prepared. Come with your shield and your arm again. You got some shit. This episode is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder is a company that was started by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They work with the best scientists to formulate clean performance products instead of what you see in most brands out there. Unlike other supplements, they get every batch tested by a third-party lab to make sure you are getting the highest quality products straight to you. They sent me a bunch of their products and I was able to test them and it was really cool because I actually use protein powders and a lot of these supplements in my daily regimen and my daily life. The ones that I really like were their whey protein powders, their vanilla, their chocolate. They're really good, they're really clean. 
I blend it with some fruit or sometimes just water if I just need a clean shake. They performed really well and worked for me in all my workouts and in my surfs. I noticed that I had a consistent energy and performance level that I normally don't have from protein powders. I didn't feel tired. I didn't feel hungry. It was like perfect. And that shake bottle that they have makes it so easy that you don't have to even use a blender. You could just drop water into it and be ready to go. That's why it's ideal to like keep the packets in your car, keep the bottle in your car and just mix it up when you need it. Use code better every day for 30% off site-wide at ladder.sport. That's better every day for 30% off at ladder.sport. L A D D E R.sport. Welcome back to volume 62 of the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Hope there were some surprises in there, people that you didn't expect. I definitely scoured a little bit. I wanted to find a little obscure stuff, some stuff that, you know, you might know, uh, but I definitely did lean on a little bit of the obscurity here. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast, volume 62. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch, blog posts, uh, videos, uh, random stuff, a lot of things. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. This episode, we got to sit down with none other than East Coast powerhouse Mikey DeTemple. Mikey DeTemple, originally from Long Island, New York, moved to Florida, was a fixture on the East Coast longboard scene for many years, and then moved over to filmmaking and produced his own films and now does a lot of client work, which is pretty awesome. We were able to talk with him and discuss what's going on now and where he sees his filmmaking going and I hope you enjoy. So what's your name and where are you from? I'm Mikey D. Temple and I'm from uh, Long Island, New York. Okay, and what town? Um, I actually grew up in North Babylon. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I know that line pretty well. I used to spend a lot of time <laughs> out there skateboarding and stuff. So yeah, uh, Massapequa, Massapequa Park, is all that stuff. Um, yeah, my my dad's actually from Lindenhurst, which is oh, a okay. town over. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and my mom's from West Islip. Ah, so you're like li till you die, kind of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very, very much. <laughs> so, um, so what I've heard is, so your family basically growing up, living in Long Island stuff. They grew up on the ocean and that kind of thing. Uh, what was your earliest memory being exposed to surfing? Um, it's funny. My my parents were both like very big into the beach and into the ocean. They actually met surfing at Gilgo Beach oh, in no 1972. Way. Oh wow! Yeah, like my dad. But the story goes like that. My dad used to always drop into my mom. <laughs> the classic. <laughs> yeah, and one day she like said something to him on the beach, like, "Why are you such an asshole?" Uh-huh. And he is like, "Here's a dime. Call me sometime." <laughs> oh, <laughs> dropping it, dropping it. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty. That's a pretty good uh, or- origin story from where where you came from. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's the story. I don't, you know, I don't know how accurate it is, but they definitely met surfing. Cool. Um, and specifically at Gilgo. But um, he was a commercial climber, and yeah, my mom's been surfing her whole life, so it was, so it was my, my my dad did also. Um, but I guess my, my first memories, I don't know. Um, 
Like a I view of, of like a view actually surfing. Like was it a, like, like one of those episodes you always hear like the dad puts you on the board? Was it you grabbed the oh, it's, board? It's definitely that, but okay. I like did not take to it. I remember we were in Hawaii when I was like seven years old, and uh. he tried to push me into waves at Waikiki, and I was just like not into it. At oh all. really? <laughs> oh, I was terrified, and then I was like, nope, ocean's not for me. You're like, for, like ten years after. <laughs> that's not your deal. Yeah, so I just like played in the sand and hung out um, for years until my mom would still surf and I would just kind of follow her around with a boogie board um, while he was working. And we would just be at the beach all summer and I don't know, one day I just like ended up on the outside with her on a boogie board and caught a couple waves and I was like, well, this is cool. Yeah. And then, you know, a few weeks later after my dad making fun of me for like three weeks about being on a boogie board the entire time, I like grabbed his surfboard out of the garage and started taking it <laughs> he, to the beach. He shamed you. He basically was like <laughs> oh. calling you a sh- sponger. He was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was he was definitely calling me a dick dragger. And, like, <laughs> and I'm like twelve. I was, I was twelve. <laughs> that's so but that's so New York. That's like that New York. Yeah. Like like at the end of the day, that's like that tough that tough New York thing. I, I'm like my daughter's like only three and a half, and I do I I have started to do some of that stuff and my wife who's not from new york she's like yo you gotta chill like like you're gonna be paid for therapy bills like don't like, like back it up a little but i do appreciate it because that's how i was raised too so i get it yeah um and that was like at, at gilgo yeah specifically at gilgo and that was like that's like you know a lot of people refer to that spot and i've been to it before and it's had multi-generational use. You know, you have the, the generations long ago, like I've heard stories from Hank Vizak when he was a teenager when he lived there um, and yeah. stuff like that. And then um, uh, my ex-girlfriend's dad, uh, Tommy McGonagall, him and his brother, they're some of the original Rockway boys, like they've told me stories. So you were that like that other generation. What was the, out of curiosity, what was it like there? Like what was the makeup of the crowd there? Uh, any, you know, it was pretty, pretty diverse. Everything that you could, all kinds of people. I, I, I just one thing that always sticks in my mind was driving over the Robert Moses Causeway, mm-hmm. and and like right when you get off the causeway, it's it's a couple of lanes, and you'd always like it, it'd always be kind of rare to see cars and surfboards on it in that era. Like it yeah. just like th- there was never crowds. There wasn't a lot of people, but like if someone was coming northbound and you were going southbound. Like they would give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down if the waves were good. And I just like cool. always remember that going like, could you imagine? Could you imagine doing that? The, like nowadays, you'd be like, the well, only thing you would get out the window is like one of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, who's going to be honest about if it's good or bad? Like that's the other thing. Like there's that human factor that's like, I'm not going to tell them how good it is. Yeah. I'm going to be like, no, right. it sucks. I want my friends to surf by themselves. Peace out. Yeah. But it was like it was also genuine. Like it yeah. was it was so so genuine. See, I've, I've always been like infa- like infatuated with like a lot of those East Coast scenes early on, like between the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and early 2000s, just ha- what they were like. Because you hear all these stories, obviously, it's been well documented what Malibu and Sano and all these places are. Like there's gazillions of books and there's people you can still talk to and that kind of thing. I'm always infatuated by like places like Hatteras and Gilgo and Ditch Plains because these are like a lot of the stories that are untold. Like a lot of people don't really know, which maybe there's some beauty to that in a way. So I'm always curious. Um, how did you get into longboarding? Like how were you first on a longboard or did you get into that or no my first board was like a five seven or five eight like 80s nomad thruster okay um that was purple um 
which is funny. There's a funny story behind that board. We when we moved to Florida when I was 15, we sold it at a yard sale. Uh huh. Um, and then I saw a little girl walking down the beach with it, like maybe 10 years ago in Malta. No. And I like ran up to her and I was like, Ah, it's my first report. I need to buy that from you. And the mom like walks up and was like, "Can I help you?" She's like, "Who's this weirdo?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I was holding like a brand new. A brand new like Channel Island shortboard, yeah. and I said to the mom, I was like, "Here, I was like, that's my surf, my first surfboard. Like, I I have to have that back." And she's like, "We bought this at the yard sale, in North Babylon." And I was like, "Yeah, that was my yard sale." <laughs> and she was like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "No, that's my first surfboard. Oh my like, God. my dad bought it in Florida, like on a road trip from New York in the eighties. Oh so God. I ended up just like passing off my Channel Islands and like took my board back. I was like, that it was just so wild. Like, do you still have it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so you you originally had a thruster. What was the what got you to like step on a longboard? Uh, just just the infrequency of, of surf in the summer. You know, a yeah. kid growing up on Long Island, like you would just go to the beach every day, no matter what. Yeah. That's what you did. You know, if you were ocean people, that was like either my mom would like hang out at the beach all day, or if it was a weekend, my dad would be there, or or my dad would just drop me and my friends off at the beach in the morning and pick us up after work and that was that was just it so it didn't matter what the surf was like we were going to be at the beach all day and that was it right um so you know the infrequency of surf i was just like i kind of want to steal my dad's gns mid-length you know so i would just always grab that instead of taking a shortboard because i would just have a lot more fun yeah you're catching waves well no oh my god It, it would be yeah it would be six inch swell and and i was still surfing all yeah. day because i was on this like seven four right at you know at 65 pounds yeah yeah and that's kind of how it happened and then i would start riding that thing when it was a little bit bigger and and then on my 13th birthday we were staying out at the east deck that's all i wanted for my birthday was like to hang out in montauk for the week yeah and joel tudor was there with tak masuda hanging out with tony caramonico and jack luber and I just remember seeing him and going like, what the fuck am I even watching right now? Like, what yeah. is that? And that, that was me coming off like stealing Bunger's only copy of On Safari's Day and watching it 7,000 times in a row and still <laughs> not making the connection that Clash from the movie was Joel Tudor. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so... So I just followed him around for a week straight and just like asked him a million questions, probably like ruined his entire week. Um, <laughs> I, I was like a shadow. It was insane. And I was just like, I can't, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Like, I, I don't even yeah. understand. And then I also didn't know like he was like a, who he was or what it was right. until like midway through. Then I got home back to North Babylon. I like put on Safari to say back on the VHS and I'm like, wait. That's that dude. Holy shit! That was the good. That was that guy. <laughs> That's a trip. <laughs> has Joel heard? Has Joel, I mean, Joel's obviously heard this story. I mean, yeah, no, he 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 knows the story, yeah. and yeah, he he still makes fun of me to this day. I have photos of us like together on the beach that I like text him every once in a while. How? What, what <laughs> year was that? Ninety four. Oh, so that's when he... No, 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 92, 92, sorry. Oh, so a little before he started staying in New York, because he started coming, staying in New York, what, like, 94, 95, like that? Yeah, I think it might have been, it might have been one of his first trips, like, hanging with Jack and those guys. Yeah. He was young. He was, he was 17. Yeah, that makes sense. Or 18. Yeah, because he's, he's, I'm trying to think, so he's, I'm 46, he's supposedly 44, 45, um... 
94. Yeah, he was probably 17. Yeah, that's about yeah. That's about right. Yeah, that era. Um, yeah, and I I just heard stories of like how he fell in love with it out there, and then he just like mm. he spent like he started spending summers and stuff like that. Um, I mean, he was in the water just as much as I was, and I was 12. So see, that's if that says anything. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's. I mean, I think he's still like that to this day, which is like kind of great. Yeah, uh, and so you you saw that kind of longboarding, which pro- opened your eyes a lot, and and, and and that era. I mean, if you're talking about ninety four, ninety five, that was a big. What he was doing was kind of unorthodox compared to what most people were doing on longboards. I mean, because longboarding was very high pro, very like definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it was the first time I'd really seen anything like that. Because even like watching that other movie, it was. You know that was a different era of Joel, also. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, exactly. And seeing seeing that in person, which I think that's the era where he, that's around the year span where he's his maturity in the way caught up with with his imagination and his education, and he started really putting that into practice. Meaning, like he he was learning all this stuff from Donald and all these people, and I think. You, you know, if someone tries to teach you something when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, no matter how talented you are at a given thing, surfing, skating, basketball, you still don't really get it in a way. And then all oh, of the, course. And then 17, 18 is sort of like when it starts, like you, your, your mind is mature enough to understand how to absorb something and actually turn it into something. And so that, You start developing your own opinion. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, which is a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> this is also true. Yeah, so you, you, you saw him um, uh, start, started longboarding more. When did competition come into um, your, your life? Like, uh, with longboarding? I had already been surfing in, like, the local ESA contests and stuff. It was just, like, at that point, being, like, 12 or 13, it was something fun to do in the summer. Like, all your friends would do it, all the kids that you hung out at the beach with. You'd only really do the one that like came to Gilgo. Like I wasn't right. at that point. I wasn't traveling out to Montauk and doing contests, and you know that didn't really happen until I was like thirteen or fourteen. And then I just started doing you know all the ESA contests in New York, right. every single one, and started winning a couple of them. And I think I won the New York State Surfing Championships oh. at Ditch, and I think that was 1990, 1998. Okay. Yeah, nineteen ninety eight was the was the year we moved the New York. Surfing championships, I think, was in early October, and we moved to Florida in November. So that was like the last contest I did. Okay, um, and, and then, then I remember. Go ahead. I, I remember going to. Um, I made Easterns that year. My dad took me to North Carolina, and I lost in my first heat to like all these kids from Florida that was surfing insane. I was like, oh wow, that's yeah. uh, wake up call. <laughs> that's, that, that's something. <laughs> where, where was it? Was it in Hatteras? Did they do it or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was one of the last. One of the last years they actually had it uh, at the lighthouse when the lighthouse was on the beach. Yeah. yeah Before I, they moved it, and then they moved, I think they moved the whole contest uh, site to Avalon or wherever. Yeah, to the Avalon now. Pier. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was the last, I think one of the last years they had it in Rodanthe. Okay. Okay. And then you moved, so how old were you when you moved to Florida? You were. Um, I had just turned 15. 15. And you moved to what area? Moved to Indy Atlantic, which is Central Florida, just east of Orlando. Okay, just east of Orlando. Okay. Near Cocoa, near Cocoa Beach, like uh, 20, 25 minutes south of Cocoa Beach. Okay, and so what 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 kind of adjustment in surf culture was there from where you were coming from to, to going to Florida? Like, did you did you notice something very different at first that you could really pinpoint um, in the culture or? 
It wasn't even, it was nothing about that. It was the fact that I moved into a condo on the beach next to like one of the more popular breaks in this area. Uh-huh. Like a two minute walk up the beach was like uh, the spot called the Boardwalk, which is like where the Hobgoods and Brian Hewittson and right. and all of those guys would just surf like decent shore break. And, and that was one thing that I, I, I noticed. Yeah, like everybody was on shoreboards like surfing. Yeah anything really well yeah and i was just like i was kind of blown away by that but i also really didn't really care i was like i can't believe i live on the ocean and i can surf year around now yeah because i didn't make winter wetsuits for a 70 pound 15 year old no, no, in, no. in 1998 like <laughs> no. it just wasn't possible no no so, so surfing was a seasonal activity for me like it was i, I got to surf like the middle of may until the end of september and Which then great and then it was time to play hockey. That was yeah. like that was that was the other thing. Like that, that was it. That's not a bad option. <laughs> um, were your parents surfing when you guys moved down, or? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I used to and, and uh, yeah, I surfed with my dad for 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 years. After that, like we would just go surf everywhere. Oh, that's awesome. Now, who were some of the first people that you connected with down there? <clears throat> um. There was a there was a group of young kids riding longboards at that time mm-hmm. that was insane, and I don't think there's ever been an error since that. But it was um, a kid named Link Earl, Jesse Briel, Brandon, and Brent Russell. Um, and I'm starting to space out a little bit on on who those. Oh, Mark Codgen. Okay. Claude Codgen's son, Steven Slater. Um, think i think that's all i can put together in my head right now but like these these groups and everyone was like a little bit older mm-hmm. sort of the same age but like that just surfed insane right. everybody was riding heavy longboard single fins and not wearing leashes and it was you know and this was in 1999 or 2000 yeah it seems it was, like it seems like the thing that i've been hearing about in of that era of florida it's like they were on it before anybody like outside of california they were on it more than anyone else like on that whole scene like i mean some of these kids were better than a lot of the the kids that were coming out of california in in this era like it was it was mind-blowing and these were all the kids that i had to start surfing contests against moving from new york moving from new york like they were not only were they making fun of me like being a yankee from new york (laughs) but they were also like a thousand times better surfer than i was so do you think that ultimately, though, probably because the bar had been set higher, it probably made you want to just, it got you to surf better just to even keep up? I mean, it's funny. Like, my last two years in, in New York, like, I don't think I lost any contests. Like, I think I, I probably won maybe almost all of them. Right. And then I moved to Florida, like, sort of cocky. Like, yeah, yeah I'm like... <laughs> I'm New York guy. <laughs> the best, the best surfer, I'm the best surfer in New York. Yeah. What up? Many uni, in many uni longboard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the best 14 year old surfer. Watch out, guys. I'm here. <laughs> and then I just got absolutely smoked. Yeah. Like, I think we I all. Was like, I, I was like, I could do a helicopter, and these kids are like, that's cool. I can hang 10 for like 15 seconds. You're like, hang, hang what? <laughs> exactly. I was like, wait. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, because it's like I hear stories from like people like Trent, um, Trent Phillips, and uh, Justin Quintal, and like some of their like some of their older friends and stuff, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we were like on this stuff like before anybody, like we were like in it, like we were just like in it, like hardcore." Yeah, which I love. I love hearing that. That it's like you know a lot of people 
don't give Florida the shine it deserves in this world of surfing. You know what I mean? It's gotten its shine all, all, all on other spots. I mean, look, Kelly Slater's from there, the Hopgood's, like, everything. And then it's like this world, it's like, no, actually, like, you know, there's a big chunk that, like, came from there and that progressed it very much. And, like, you, you're a big part of it, and Justin's a big part of it, and then you have the Youngers, like the Saxons and the, the Trents and stuff like that. Um, when did it start clicking for you there in terms of, like, your progression? When did you notice your progression start getting uh, more up to what speed to what the other people were doing? Um, I think it really started more when I when I started um, riding Donald's boards. You okay. know, I've, I've been on, like, I, I, I just hadn't found my way as far as surfboards go yeah. at that point when I moved down. And, um, yeah, I think once I got on boards that were kind of built for me, things really started changing. And then, you know, it, it's funny, that era was like, all you did was look forward to the Easter Surf Fest every year. Like, mm -hmm. that was like Easter weekend every year. It's like where everybody came here. Every, everyone, every person you ever wanted to surf with or see surf was would come to Cocoa Beach and surf in the town, yeah. yeah, and it was just like, it was so much fun. And I, I think... Um, I don't know, I guess I must have been 16 or something like that when they used to have, like, the junior longboard, the junior pro, or mm -hmm. whatever it was, and I did pretty well in that one year against um, the really young Alex Nost and Dodger Kreml. <laughs> oh, wow. Who else was in that? I think this kid, Todd, Todd Kingsley, who was from, I think, the Gulf Coast of Florida. I can't remember where okay. Todd is from. I feel like he lives in Kentucky or something like that. Kansas City now. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah, it was it, it, it was just crazy. All the kids were surfing so good. I made the finals that year, and I think I made, like, $300 or something oh, like that. Oh, hey, look, it's, it's something. I mean, why not? Yeah, and I was like, whoa, I had $300. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Now, was that, could... was that when, like, a lot of people saw you, like, because everybody was in town? Were they, like, did people take notice at that point? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I guess that maybe was, was something. I, I think I had, like, a couple of photos in ESM or something like that around okay. that same time. And um, I think I, I actually just found it recently, like, digging through. I'm, like, sitting in my old bedroom that I lived in when I moved down yeah. here right now, which is so funny as it is. But I found, like, all the old magazines and stuff. And oh, the, awesome. I found the, the longboard magazine from... The, the dropping in section from when I was 16 was hysterical. <laughs> so I was cracking up laughing. It's so funny. We think we think so much of ourselves when we're in our teens, like we think we're the center of the world. And then when we look back on some of the stuff that we said or wore or looked like, it's kind of scary. Um, oh, definitely. <laughs> it's like kind of like, <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like, uh -huh. like, no. Uh, so with, with the Florida scene, you competitive you got on donald's boards was donald making boards specifically for you or were you riding model t's or or yeah donald donald was making boards specifically for me and um every summer i'd actually go out there and i would um i say this very loosely but work in the retail shop okay and i i lived above the polishing room in the oceanside factory oh, for awesome. a couple a couple of years and i would um yeah, I was bad. I was like a bad kid. Though. I would, I would like borrow Donald's truck to tell him I was going to Cardiff, and I would drive to Malibu because Malibu was good. Oh no! <laughs> Jesus, who was on the team? Who was on the team then when you were staying out here? 
Um, I was always hanging with Noah Shimabukuru and Mikey Gordon uh-huh. and Darren Lettingham and Steven Slater. Okay. And who else was there? I think that was uh, Mike Stidham was like a young kid who was okay. who was Donald was making boards for really young. Um, yeah, I think that's that was the that majority. Crew. Yeah. That crew, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get so you're spending the summers here coming out. He was making boards for you. What the boards he was making for you, how much different were they than the stock boards in terms of design? Because you're mostly surfing them in Florida, so I'm kind of curious like, like, was it a, a, depart, a big departure from what he was doing, or is it still like Donald's doing his thing? He was still doing his thing, but I was just so small then. He was, he was just really foiling everything out for okay. me. I think like my. I would ride double enders all the time, and uh-huh. he was making them like two and a half inches thick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Super. I only rode I only rode double enders and beach breaks. Those okay. were like the two the two boards that I rode from him for for so long. Because I'm always curious about this, especially like, like a master craftsman like Donald, like how he approached it with different people, being not just you know like you said you were so small, but also like where they're surfing. You know how much is he adapting that kind of thing? Um, because I've heard a lot about other shapers on. Well, I don't think there's any shaper on his level, but um, people who've shaped for a lot of different uh, team riders, how they pretty much try to stick to the same thing, and it doesn't always work. Uh, yeah. So, so, like, I'm curious, like, the fact that you're saying, like, he was making them thin and foiled out makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, where you were surfing. That's the thing I love about the Florida surf scene in general is that it's, like, you have to ride those kind of boards, and that's the kind of surfing I'm mostly attracted to, a very, like, involvement style, thin, forward, yeah. like, boom. You have to kind you of... You have to be agile because of how short and weird the waves are yeah, and crossed have... up and just overall shitty. Yeah, you can't, like, you're not you're not opening up the newspaper and taking your time and, like, slowly walking. No. no there's none of that. There's, like, a lot of quick-footed... Nope. And that's, like, why I love, like, what, what comes out of there. Um, so... Coming here for the summers and stuff. Um, when did you did you compete on the on the ASP tour as well or no? Um, I I did for a while. I think before that I did the is it the PSA stuff. I okay. forget what it was. Yeah, I did that for a while. But then I I, I would do all the contests. I, like the majority of what I would do were all those contests along the East Coast in the in the fall. Okay. Um, I would start with the ECSE in Virginia Beach. I would from there. I would there would be the Sea Isle City mm-hmm. that that Brian Heritage used to put on. Um, then there was a contest in Manasquan, uh, the Brave New World Longboard Classic, and then I there was the Unsound Pro in Long and Long Beach. Okay. Um, so I would kind of go bounce and do all of those contests, and then I would stay with my aunt and uncle out in Montauk for like a month. In oh, okay. So okay. I'd spend like, you know, I would spend, I don't know, almost two months driving up the coast and then staying at my aunt and uncle's for a month. So in just that, I mean, outside the contest experience, because you're traveling so much, you're probably seeing a lot of different types of like long borders, period, in all these different pockets. Yeah, and, and getting to surf different waves and mm-hmm. just experiencing different things. And I was young when I started doing that. I think my the first time I drove up and did that, I was 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I did that for years, basically until those contests all kind of went away. Yeah, because they disappeared and it was kind of like it fizzled out and died out. Yeah. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. ju- they're just starting to slowly come back, I guess, a little bit like the last couple of years. Um, when did like you know the quote unquote pro contesting enter your arena? 
Um, I, I guess it would have been the, the Easter contest that I was kind of telling you about. I started doing like the, the men's open pro longboard or whatever, and okay. I, I made the finals a couple years in a row. I think my first, I think I got third or something like that when I was 17 in the okay. men's the men's pro and then from there all of those contests i just talked about on up the east coast were all like pro contests that had a little bit of purse you know a little bit of prize money behind them i guess two thousand here a thousand here and I had a couple that. of them were three thousand yeah Whoa. but for a 17 year old and you know I, I i won a few of them in a row and a, a couple of years in a row and and it was like i was like i could live off five thousand dollars <laughs> yeah i mean hey it's a lot more than gas money i mean that's that's a big chunk of money yeah. even today i mean jesus um so, as you're traveling all over the place, um, what what I've read is that you started kind of shooting and like photography and film. How did how did that first happen to you? Like, how did you first get involved in that in in, in, in uh, doing photography and film? I think it started with photos. Um, you know, when I was really traveling a lot, that was like the era where the digital camera had just kind of come out. Mm-hmm started to get decent i could have never i could never afford one so i had this medium format twin reflex shishika okay. so i would shoot funny enough i would shoot medium format because it was the cheapest thing to shoot yeah <laughs> right now it's the most expensive thing to shoot yeah. but i always took photos wherever i went like and and would shoot a few rolls and i was into it it was you know just kind of something fun for me and uh you know, uh, around that same time period, I was I was doing all the the ASP contests, and I just kind of started doing pretty lousy, and wasn't really making heats, wasn't really having fun. I would go to Biarritz, and I would lose like in my second heat, and I would tell my sponsors that I lost, and they were like, "We're not paying for your hotel for the rest of the time. Oh, like, you change your ticket and come home." And I was like, "Well, that sucks." Yeah. <laughs> So I was going to all these great places. I wasn't really experiencing them. And I came back and I was just like, I don't like surfing contests. I don't like riding these like yeah. light performance boards. I don't like my surfing doesn't fit this box. And I also was like just starting to lose my competitive drive a bit. I just like, I just wasn't into it. I was like, this is, I don't know. I was like, but I still want to surf. But, like, I don't want to get a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. no that, I probably want to go surfing you, still. You find out really quick like a real surfer or not because a real surfer will figure out every single thing possible to not work like they'll they'll invent a job for themselves they'll be like oh no that's no what I, I did yeah and that's exactly so you, i was like i know how to do this i was yeah. like I, what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna like i'm gonna go all these places that i would have wanted to go for the year with like some of my friends and i'm gonna make a surf movie and i'm gonna put myself in it to extend my surfing career genius genius i was like it's brilliant like other people won't put me in their movies. I don't care. I'll put myself in my own because I'll just get to go surfing for another ten years. Yeah, and so that was so. So you ju- you jumped right into doing that first movie, right? That yeah. was a, that yep. was the first thing that you did. Um, yeah. So picaresque, you did that, and that was like in two thousand and nine. How? What? What was like? You know, did you from the start have in mind like, hey, th- I'm going to do a film, or were you just like, I'm going to film a bunch of stuff and see where this goes? So I, I, at the time, I was working at this really cool surf shop in Florida called The Groove Tube. Okay. Um, it was like a music store that sold surfboards and like kind of cool clothes. And also they sold bongs, which was weird. But like, uh, there, was, there were a lot of skate of the, shops doing the, the same yeah. thing for a while. That was like a little, you make were, a little side money. 
They were ahead of the curve. Yeah. They also had a Ticketmaster. Um, oh, so we sold that. a ton of monster truck tickets out of there. It was fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they had just done a like a TV commercial, and this kid Dustin Miller had shot it, and I kind of met him a couple of times. Okay. And he was friends with the Hopgoods, and um, him and I started talking. I was like, hey, like he went to film school and and lived in St. Augustine. I was like, hey, I really want to make a surf movie, but I don't like know how to do anything except for you know shoot a pretty bad photo and he was like let's you know let's talk and let's like maybe do this thing together and i was like yeah this sounds great and the idea was uh just like i mean i didn't have any money and so i had him i flew him up to new york um when i was staying with my aunt and uncle um and he just came and hung out for a week and we shot like a little spot that was you know kind of stupid and quirky and sort of fun just to see like what it was like and i was like this is this is kind of awesome like we should actually let's make something like let's not use any of this but like let's actually let's, let's make a film and he was like I'm, I'm in and I was like great I don't have any money like what do we do and he's like I don't know <laughs> and, I, and I met some guys in Montauk that were uh, were feature length film producers and they were coming off uh, three feature lengths in a row shot on 35mm film oh, and wow. they would give me they would give me the short ends after after the after the shoot days, and I would sell them uh, back to the production houses, and you know, kind of made a bit of money and and sort of floated the project through that. Okay. And then I, I ran out of money really quickly, and I went back to them. I was like, "Hey, this is what we have." And I was like, "What do you think?" And they were like, "This is this is awesome. We would love to, you know, get behind it and you know help you finish this thing." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how much money did it did it cost to make that film? I mean, if you could say, like, at the end of the day, like, how much you went into it? It was over thirty. Okay, which isn't yeah. like it's it's a it's a chunk for a surf film, but it's not yeah. It's not you know it's not unheard of and stuff. And so you you make that film, it it premieres, you get it out there, and it starts getting a lot of attention. Did you expect that much attention right away? I mean, I hoped for it, but I didn't think it, like, I, I, I had no clue. Like, I thought maybe, like, when I did the premiere in Cocoa Beach around the Easter Fest, I was like, yeah, people will come to that. Yeah. But it was, like, it was insane. And then every stop we did up the East Coast, like, all of it was packed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is really crazy. And this is before Instagram. Like, I had a WordPress blog that, like, that's the only way I could get the information wow. out of, like, what we were doing. Right. So there was, like, it was all really organic and, and interesting, but it was also the era where people were really excited about surf movies. And yeah. It was the, the, and the DVD was still strong, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of things being pushed out there. It wasn't like it was now where, you're you know, if there was a swell yesterday, you're seeing the edit today. Um, yeah, which is, the, yeah, that's that's a bit of a thing that I want to discuss, too, is that the fact that, you know, with, you brought up Instagram, you know, you were, when that movie came out, it was the world of, like, like, like you said, DVDs were still strong, people still wanted to buy a physical copy of something, they'd rewatch it, now it's, like, it's, it's such a different world in a sense of, like, people pull full, put full edits up on, like, Instagram TV, and you forget about them. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's like, no, there's an expiration date on everything now, and it, it, you know, nothing's really quite timeless. I mean, there's still those things that are timeless, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's even it's, currently, but it, it takes a lot to make something timeless now. Yeah, it's something like I'm struggling with now because <clears> I'm in the middle of making a film with Log Wrap, and it's like we've been working on it for two years, and we were actually supposed to premiere it 
right when this all happened, a daydream, um, we were supposed to premiere it in the beginning of April. Oh, shit. Yeah, and it's, so it's basically sitting on hard drives, but it's like a thing where it's like we're in this, this kind of conflict of like, okay, like are we going to put this thing online and no one remembers it, or are we just going to wait the whole route of like premiering it and the only place you could see it is at a showing for like the first year kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, like, your approach now to like surf filmmaking, how has it changed since when you first started because of all these things such as social media and mass distribution? Um, that's a good question. I haven't I haven't made a surf film in a really long time um, since I guess it was 2011 when I did Sight Sound right after Picaresque. Right. Um, I've done some commercial things that included surfing, but it, I I would. I'd love to make a surf film again. I definitely would have a very different approach. I would have. Uh, well, that's my question. Like, how would you approach it differently in terms of like you know you spoke about your first movie, thirty thousand yeah. dollars all in a lot. Obviously, was your first film doing premieres, all this excitement. If you were to go into it, you're like, I have an idea for for a surf film. Here's a bunch of people lined up. Here's a bunch of spots lined up. How would your approach differ? It would just it would it would need a bit more of a narrative. Mm-hmm. It, it would need an arc in it and it would also need a shitload of money okay because and that's that's i think what really draws in the attention is is the production quality of these things like people want to see surfing in a new way people mm-hmm. want to see it you know not just shop on the beach and not like shop in california they want to see locations that you can kind of dream about but like why are they there like why how did they get there so it almost like it's interesting. So it's almost going back to like the things of like Bruce Brown, the endless summer. Like you, you have to have a narrative. And that's and it's that film is still totally relevant. Mm-hmm. You know what is it? Sixty something years later, yeah. and it's still like you could put that on right now, and you'll you'll be connected to it. You'll laugh your ass off mm-hmm. at it, and it'll make you want to go surfing. Yeah. Do you and, think uh, you, how many things can you put on right now that will make you do those three things? Like mm, it doesn't. There's not a lot. You count them on one hand, like. There's not a lot. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we've we've devolved into this like this content pr- processing society and surfing, where it's basically like surf porn. It's like you yeah. look at like it's like it's like it was shot this after. Like to your point, it was shot this morning. It's up on Instagram, edited with music and titles by five p.m. Yeah, and, and just because it was shot on a fifty thousand dollar red doesn't make it better than anything else. No, I mean see, yeah, the quality is nice, but like. I don't want to, I'm like, I've seen it all. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good point. It, I mean, at the end of the day, and then it goes, again, goes back to the si- simplest form of like surf filmmaking. You need the story. You need yeah. a story to be told. You want to capture an audience and that's going to get the investment from them emotionally, right? To not just yeah. watch it once, but to watch it over and over again. I feel a lot yeah. of these, a lot of these edits that are out there, it's very <clears throat> much like the surfing's great. The locations are great. It's all good. But if I saw it once, I don't need to see it another four or five times. Exactly. You know, kind of thing. Versus like a Thomas Campbell film or something like that, or like Bruce Brown films or things like that, or even like a Pacific Vibrations or the the Witzig trilogies. Like those, like I want to watch over and over again. And there is... Five summer stories. Yeah. And there's like a story behind it. I think that's the thing that we've sort of lost in a way is is the storytelling. You know, and Mm -hmm. not just in surf media. I think in like... Like you do a lot of commercial work, so a lot of your stuff does tell a story um, for the brands that you work with. And I think that's the thing that like we forget about a lot of times, even with commercial work. Like sometimes the best commercial work are the ones that 
you make an emotional connection to. Yeah. Right. So without how, a connection, what is there? It's just a visual, and you know, visuals are really nice, but you forget about them pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So what 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 have you taken from what you did in your surf films in in certain in terms of methodology and filmmaking and translated it to your uh, to your uh, clients that you work with now? Well, I think I I, th I think in Picaresque was just like learning how to learning the process of, of how making a film works from like I actually need money beforehand to go do this like film costs this much money to get developed I still right. have to pay an editor oh wow you have to pay for music if you want to print a DVD and you know just the ins and outs of everything yeah. the, the, the second film I had no plan when I went into Picaresque. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know where it was going to go. I knew that Dustin would be traveling around to certain locations filming things on the world tour, the shortboard world tour, and I knew that I'd be piggybacking a lot on, on where he was and shooting my own things around that to save money. But um, the second one, I actually had an idea of what I wanted. I wanted, you know, and I wanted to tell a, a, a narrative without actually speaking, but but give give this this kind of journey through through these different locations and, and you know figure out how to tell a story um mm -hmm. and 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 creating a narrative like that was definitely something i learned and i had no i'd never done anything like that before and realized also how important that is that that you're that you have a story mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of um definitely become relevant to all the commercial work i've been doing is, is just always having in the back of my mind that i want to tell a story that like, there's some kind of narrative here. Like, I remember watching one of your clips that it was that spearfishing one. It was, like, that chef or something, and he's, like, he went spearfishing, uh -huh. he cooked it on the beach and stuff like that. Like, that's a beautiful story. Like, that's something yeah. that, like, you as a viewer can put your – you, you want to put your feet in there. Right? You want to – you want to be that person. It's 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 a very exciting thing to watch, and it's a beautiful story. And there were yeah. little, little as simple Thank as you. it was. Yeah, as simple as it was. There's little things. Now maybe it's me personally. Like I actually grew up fishing on the the Sound in Long Island and all that stuff. So it's like for me, it like was reminding me of being a kid and like me and my dad going blue fishing and like grilling yeah. it that night. And I was like, oh, but there were all these little strands, if you will. That you could kind of track to, and I think that's really beautiful. I'm hoping I I really want to see that. And and my question is, do you think an audience cares about that anymore, or do you think there's an the audience is just basically doesn't even like it doesn't even compute in their brains? I I, I think there's no wrong answer to that. I think that that both of those people exist. Um, I mean, I, I tend to be the latter one where I want to make something that people genuinely care about and don't want to just watch and turn off and never see it again. Right. Um, so, you know, know your audience, I guess, but that's definitely what I want to make things for. Those are, those are the people that I want to create for. Now, you've also done a lot of stuff with like people like Surfrider Foundation and stuff like that. I wanted to just kind of, if you could give me your, just your spiel on like, what role does content play in influences change influencing change in the environment and in the world today so so i surfrider came to me with um with a grant some grant money okay by the state of new york and they wanted me to tell a story about um toxic runoff on the east end of long island okay and, you know and just because it took place in the eastern end of long island didn't mean it wasn't relevant to any other place in the united states or around the world. Mm -hmm. So I got these characters together around Montauk and around the East End 
and started kind of digging into their stories a little bit. Um, and I mean, just doing that, I didn't know a lot about the, the, what we were, the story we were telling, but I, I learned a ton and, you know, I, I learned how important it was that you didn't put, you know, um, fertilizer on your lawn that you right. used organic matter and that if you, you know, cut all of your landscaping, all your natural vegetation down at the end of your property line, that it was just going to make water flow into the drains easier instead of filtering it. And, um, it, and all the little micro stories that we told within that doc, I just, I remember after it came out, I had a lot of people coming up to me that summer and I was like, I didn't realize that I shouldn't have cut all the natural vegetation down. I didn't know. I just thought that was, you know, just crap on my property mm-hmm. or I didn't realize that organic fertilizer was the same price as regular fertilizer. I've now changed to, I've had my landscapers change that, or I didn't know that, you know, doing, doing this was that bad. And just hearing that, I was like, that's crazy. Cause I didn't know it either when I made it. Right. And, you know, just the fact that a couple of people came up to me and were like, this, this like changed the way I, I conduct my business. Um, you know, as far as the home goes, was was wild to hear. It was really, really cool. Um, and that was also a beautiful film to make. Like, I got to shoot all these incredible visuals around the east end of Long Island and got to work with friends and, you know, people that I've known for years and hear their stories and why this stuff is so important to them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's, it's amazing, like, filmmakers like yourself who, who do that because these are the things that, you know, they get passed around virally and, like, or, you know, I look at stuff that Cyrus Sutton has done, you know, it like opens up your eyes to your point when you mentioned that people were like, oh, I didn't know that was something that was helping. I was just cutting this like vegetation down. Like sometimes we need that lesson uh, on a mass level versus getting the lesson in some pamphlet or some like web page. Exactly. Yeah. And then if you compare it with beautiful imagery and, yeah, forget you it. know, John, John Slattery had narrated it, who has a, an amazing voice yeah. and he's, he's, you know, he's just great as a person also. And, you know, it, it's like all of this is really engaging mm-hmm. and it, it's, you know, hard not to pay attention to. No, of course. And is it, are you working on any other of that kind of stuff in the future? Or? Um, I would love to, I would, I would absolutely love to. I haven't had any opportunities recently, but, um, yeah, anytime I get to, work on project projects like that that tell stories of conservation and and uh pollution and you know anything like that i, I would take it on in a minute not that one that stuff isn't about the money it's just about telling no, the story no. and creating awareness yeah it's about i mean i think it's really important for us in society to kind of i know this sounds like very cliche and corny to give back you know we're very privileged to live on this planet and especially as surfers to interact with nature the way we do on such an intimate level if we have any kind of talents that can help those things grow and thrive and survive i think it's sort of like that's why we're putting on this universe i i personally feel that way Um, no i agree with that so um one of the brands that you work with is uh how do they pronounce woolen well wellen yeah yeah they're they're based in uh in Brittany in on the northwest coast of france okay and so how did that relationship start and when that's funny i guess it was about five years ago um eric the founder um great guy i've spent a lot of time with him and he just like randomly emailed me out of nowhere was like hey (laughs) you surf and you sail and we should it would be cool to work together and um this is what we can offer like in the first email and i was like oh wow huh 
this is this never happens. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I like click on the. I was like, this the stuff has to be so bad. There's no way. And I like <laughs> yeah, click like, on this it. Can't be good. Yeah, I was like, this can't be real. There's uh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I click on it, and it's like all stuff that I would wear right away. And I was like, oh wow. Yeah. This is insanely refreshing. Yeah. And I was like, is this friend playing a joke on me? Maybe yeah. like. It's funny that I just end my ended my relationship, my, my twelve or thirteen year relationship with Hurley. Okay. Um, probably like a couple of weeks prior to that. Oh wow. Um, so the timing was just wild and I went straight in with them and we, we did our own collection together that summer where I designed you know, I think we did like ten or ten or twelve pieces like that and then um, yeah, now I, I, I shoot a lot of their, their um their lookbooks. Okay and you know, give my two cents on design and color and, you know, fabric and textures. And yeah, we work really closely together. And, they, I, yeah. and they're so, you, you, they're selling online, obviously, and in France. So you could probably get a lot of their stuff that way if you want to, which is cool. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they've got like uh, maybe eight or nine stores in all, all over France. And then um, their online presence is great. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we're going to wrap this thing up and I have just a couple of like basic questions. So where do you see your surfing going, you know, once this craziness, this shit that we're in now, where, where do you see it going for yourself? Um, you know, I don't, as it is, I don't, I don't really surf a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't spend a ton of time in the water. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to surfing more. I definitely am. I'm starting to get the itch, which, yeah. which I sort of go in and out of depending on work and just like what's going on in my life. But yeah. um, I'm really looking forward to a summer of surfing. I really would like to not throw myself in crowds and, and, and that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to choosing the days and spending some time in the water once this is, um, once this is behind us. And where do you see your filmmaking going? Um, that's an interesting question. I would I would like to to keep doing it. I mean, I I, I hope that um, you know whatever happens through this, people still want to see films and people still want to see you know branded content and short mini docs and stuff like that. So hopefully, I can stay busy and keep working. I'm you know always a little bit concerned being freelance, but um, no, I get. It. I mean, I'm in the same boat as you from the creative direction side, so I totally get it. But I think now more than ever is there's so many people consuming content, and especially con content that could quote unquote distract in a way, like like mm. make them happier and stuff like that. I mean, I know it's something that I've consciously been trying as a as a content producer and talked to a lot of like surfing content producers. We've all been communicating and been like, okay, if there's ever an opportunity to start doing stuff. Like now is the time. There's people are staying at home. They're gonna watch yeah, that stuff. Exactly. But then at the same token, it's not like we could go out and shoot anything. So that's <laughs> that's the caveat to the whole thing. It's yeah. like, you know, like everybody wants stuff, but no, but there's no way to shoot it. Yeah, I mean, look, you and I are doing an interview over FaceTime, and I'm recording it on yeah. my laptop. Like that's a lot. <laughs> like this is not my normal thing. Like I like sitting in a room with people. I like getting lunch. Yeah. I like surfing. Like that kind of yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> where, if you could fish any place in the world, where would you fish, and for what kind of fish? Um, that's a good question. Man, I love bottom fishing in, in New York, just off of Friends Boat for flounder. Like, like fluke and flounder is, is I don't know, I can never get sick of it. You cook it a million ways. Yeah. It's really sustainable. It's See, I was like, I a, I was I, like a toe-tog person. Like, that was my thing. Like, 
like yeah. fiddler crabs by the reef, like by a dock, like yep. Good. Fish. Which is which is is that is that what they used to call weak fish or is Bla- that black blackfish? Blackfish. Blackfish. Yeah. I okay, mean, you, got you, it. You got to think about it. Like any fish that all they're eating is crabs and clams. Yeah. Gotta be kind of. I, I mean, yeah, blackfish are insane. Yeah. I I love grilling a whole blackfish on the barbecue. It's like absolute perfection. You see, it's like I miss like ever since we've moved out to California like seven years ago. It's the one thing that I miss more than anything in the world. Like fishing is miserable here. It is like there's no there's no fishery. It's crazy. No, it's miserable. Meanwhile, like there's even, no species. Yeah, it's like, like what what do you have? Nothing. Nothing edible. Like they're like, oh, we have these bass. I'm like, I'm not eating that. I don't even know yeah. what that is. Like that's not a bass. No, no, I'm not going to feed about. that to my kid. <laughs> like no, like I grew up like. You know, like, so my parents are, like, immigrants from former Yugoslavia, so, like, we we fished for our food. We had a house in Rocky Point, then we had a boat off of Freeport. Like, we were, like, hitting both coasts, like, all the time. That's so funny. My, my best friend's from Sound Beach. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and his parents were teachers in Rocky Point. Oh, my God. Rocky Point both was this, like, really random community where, like, a lot of, like, Polish and Eastern European people yeah. bought homes. Um, and, I, yeah, I used to spend, like, weekends there, and, like, we had a boat that we were, like went off of a, a lawn. I love it over there. Oh, blue My aunt and uncle live in Shoreham. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's really good porgy and, and blackfish fishing off of the power plant. No one likes admitting. Oh, yeah. But, like, there was, like, it was... Oh, they never really turned that thing on anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I remember <laughs> doing that as a kid. I, I miss that so much. But I could get into the whole fishing thing. Um, I'll close this up with, like, two questions. Um, okay. One, what is if you, if you had to pick one place to surf that you've surfed at, where would it be and why? Um, I I really like the Caribbean. I'll, I'll okay. cast a pretty wide net on that one and just say the Caribbean. But it's I like that it's inconsistent. Mm-hmm. I like that you have to pay attention to the weather and what's going on yeah. down there. Yeah. And I like that so many places aren't crowded because of how inconsistent the swell is. Yeah. Um, it's really good when it's really good, but you can't just pick days and go there. It just no, no. It's not going to happen. Have you seen that David Carson wave in front of his house? No. That's at, like so he has that house in Tortuga and he and it, why he lives there most of the year is because it's so inconsistent and he just waits for it to fire. And it's just like I love that. It's this I love that. point break and it's like you look on his Instagram account and he Oh, oh, in Tortola. Tortola, yeah, there. Yeah, 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 got it. Yeah, yep. sorry. Tortola, yeah. Like that thing is like ill. Like he's like, "Oh yeah, he's like yeah. the reason I have a house there is I have to wait for the wave." Like how else Yeah, and it breaks like seven or eight times a year and I'm sure there's like another half dozen days that aren't even on the map that end up breaking. Yeah, and he's yeah. like and he's like it's me and me. <laughs> he's like yeah. it's like that's it. Um, um hard to argue with that. Yeah. Uh, no crowds. That's what everybody wants. Um, in closing, who are some of the people you want to thank? Shout out anybody you want to mention? Um, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I think everyone that's kind of supported me over the years and, and believed in my weird visions of, of trying to surf for a living and then make films and then start shooting photos, you know, for anyone that supported that, a lot of my sponsors actually, you know, moved on with me from when I, when I went from being a surfer to a photographer and they, they kind of stood behind me on that transition and, you know, everyone that kind of like gave me the weird shrug when I left Florida and moved back to New York. Right. Um, that was a very interesting time for me. And, you know, some people were like, wow, good for you for doing it. Other people were like, yeah, we're not going to do anything with you anymore. Oh. 
which is which is interesting but yeah and then obviously my family and friends i have such a great crew of friends in new york that that are inspiring and incredible and great surfers and you know great photographers and filmmakers and yeah i think i think i owe pretty much everything everything to my friends in new york they've they've been the most inspiring thing in my entire life is, is being surrounded with those kind of people lucky very very lucky to have that yeah see that's important i mean friends become family and especially that new york that family base is pretty it's pretty a lot of people don't understand it's pretty rich pretty good very very yeah well thanks for sitting down um and yeah thanks for having me yeah hopefully that was a fun chat thanks so much to mikey for taking the time to spend some time with us I'm a big fan of filmmakers that tell stories. I think it's very easy to go out there and just shoot beautiful stuff and edit beautiful stuff. But the thing that's gonna draw you in and that drew us into surf film in the first place, talking about Endless Summer and Bruce Brown films and stuff like that and the Witzig trilogies is, is that there's some kind of narrative, some kind of story that pulls you in. And the thing that I love about Mikey's work a lot is that he does that very well. We discussed it in an interview, but I wanted to go back to it that I think it's something that a lot of surf filmmakers need to think about. They need to be thinking about the story. Because part of the surfing experience for all of us isn't just that hang 10, that maneuver, that wave, even that location. It really is about the whole experience, you know, the parking lot vibe and talking to your friends and looking over and seeing a silhouette. And I'd like to see more filmmakers do that. I think there's some out there that do it well and create mood. But let's start telling more stories. Right now we need to hear stories, so I think we should be doing it more often. Anyway, uh, glad you guys dug the interview. I think I'm gonna get back into some more tracks and then I'm gonna come back with a little spiel about the beach closings in Orange County. Peace! Never sleep when even bleeding. Never start sinking in the old man's quick 
person And if you fight for other than the cause Then the gas fades gas true fade, you know Yeah, oh, sign and seal Set up correct with the effect The second of two episodes I recollect Was meant to dismiss a myth With a stamp of approval And a simple common blue I respect what the heck In the steps of the King Solomon Who used the chin To pull his whole temple from within Does make my head spin When one dares the question How one learns a lesson The guess and turns off to a frown From a spur to a chuckle Now the self's a gas mask with a buckle Here I declare this land's a gas chamber Here to threaten bring sweat to the stranger That old serpent has a goal Saying that he knew I felt getting still He's living tall Yeah, that's a lie But surely we'll trick him Flip the coin Make him a gas face Oh, yeah Once again That's how we kick shit Fade and deck That's the B-side Wednesday You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but who gets the gas? No gas face for SD-50 No gas face for Plugs 1, 2, and 3 No gas face for Michael and Peter No gas face for the brand new bitch Print to pull up Stop the gas face Dick for Uncle Tom Stop the gas face Folder. 
muscle-bound karate expert concealed a razor edge which could lop the head off of a marble statue once propelled with notorious world takeover schemes and the most magnificent gadgets imaginable. Villains rapidly grew healthy cash flow. It is explained by a more comedic villain, the bald-headed Doom. This villain rose to incredible new heights of money-making, revenge, and extortion. Such was the magnitude of the typical villain. This is no answer. Very well then. I am the magnificent. Say the hip hip parade, I will be an MC 
Till I'm old and gray And I can even rock the mic with tooth decay, decay, yo Ladies of the 80s know that I'm the original B-I-Z-M-A-R-K-I-S-A with the E You know me and my man Big Daddy I can't forget Cutmaster Cool V And my partner, my best friend TJ Swanee Rockin' the mic would say most definitely So listen, don't be missing. I will never be dissing I just rock the mic and always have discipline Listen to the brother ain't the one that you discover I rock up the mic just like if I'm your mother What up, everybody, in Bodega Border Crew Podcast land? Volume 62 is at hand, and you're here for the ride. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for sitting down, listening in your car while you're working on stuff, whatever it may be, looking at surf cams that are empty lineups, that kind of thing. Let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 62. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch, we have films, we have wrap-ups of Wednesdays with Worm, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, We have some other stuff. But this week, I really wanted to talk about what's going on in the beach closure world. Obviously, last night, Thursday, April 30th, Gavin Newsom, our governor, struck down and shut down all the beaches in Orange County. And a lot of people are upset. I'm upset. Everyone's upset. It's not a good thing. It's not a good vibe. Don't get me wrong. This is a big overreach. This was a bit too much. But, but let's really look at the facts here. The facts here are this. What he actually ordered was a temporary hard close of all Orange County beaches. Yes, it's messed up that he singled us out. Even though we have good numbers or we're having good numbers, and we'll get to that, that there's other beaches he didn't do this to. But at the same token, LA County has been having a hard close ever since this whole thing started. The thing to notice is what he said was it's a temporary hard close of all Orange County beaches until new parameters can be established by local government. If you really read into that, what this is about is the fact that what happened down in Salt Creek, what happened down in Newport, was that he was not confident that the local government not only established rules, but enforced them properly to make sure that people kept to them. That's a big thing. So they want to make sure that they have some rules in place and that we're abiding by. Santa Cruz has been doing an amazing job of of this. San Diego County has been doing an amazing job of this where they've enlisted the lifeguards to really take charge here. To be honest, a lot of the beaches and things that I've heard from people, and you have to be totally honest here, is that this was not happening in Newport. It was not happening in a lot of places. I mean, I posted a screen grab of what was going down in Salt Creek. I mean, that was insane. That was not trick photography. That's a surf cam. That's a pretty much an overhead angle, and it looked like it was spring break. So people were not enforcing stuff, and there weren't concrete rules. And I don't entirely blame the local government. He, in a way, Gavin Newsom basically threw it out there. He did not take control of the situation. So th- he's definitely at fault on a big part, but there's the side of the local government. The other side of it too that people need to realize is that 
our beaches are right next to LA County and we had so many people come in from LA County okay and this is one of my biggest gripes I've had throughout this whole thing was saying to people look stay within your county until this calms down someone mentioned to me like don't you go surf other spots in other counties yeah but that's usually not during a pandemic and that's not usually during a lockdown we're living in unprecedented situation now so to try to treat it the same way as we used to have it let's say two months ago three months ago is a little ridiculous so when i hear that from people i think they're just being a little bit idiotic to be honest they're just not being smart about the situation okay let's be adults here okay so a lot of this had to do with people going to cross county and i think it's one of the things that like caused the problem I also heard from people like my boy Dane's Donuts, he was telling me that he had people that were coming in from Arizona to the beach in Newport. So that wasn't, that's beyond not local, that's like out of state. The whole point of what we're trying to do state by state, county by county, is we're trying to keep people within a certain distance so that they're not spreading the disease and we have actual controllable numbers so we can look at. Orange County was doing very good on their numbers. I mean, our doubling rate at one point was like 27 days, which is really good. But now with the recent spike that we've had, we've hit a 17 day doubling rate, which is not good considering that LA is having a better doubling rate than us. Now, granted, LA has 10 times the cases that we do as a total, and they have probably 10 times the population. I'm not sure about the numbers, but they also, their death rate is extremely high. Our death rate is low, but we've had a recent spike. So part of this was the governor kind of seeing that spike, seeing these pictures, and getting freaked out. Now with the pictures, a lot of people were like, they were shot down the beach and I agree 100%. These were very misleading pictures, okay? If you took an overhead drone shot, it probably looked 100 times better because those lifeguard towers are really apart, okay? Whatever the situation is and what happened, we're in the situation now. We're all very angry. Now, what we need to do is realize what's happening behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, we have two cities right now that are filing lawsuits against our state government and it's Dana Point and Huntington Beach that are basically saying this is unlawful, this is an overreach, blah blah. And I'm all for that. And I think you need to go out there and you need to research this and you need to back these politicians and help them do this. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is they're trying to establish war laws. I know some people on city council in Newport and they're what I've been hearing is that they're scrambling right now to come up with a list of laws. And I've talked to some locals, you know, they need to have something in place. Like the best common sense thing would be come up with a group of, of regulations, make sure that Sacramento approves it. Then at every beach opening, every sand opening, it is posted and have someone there to enforce them. If you have that happen, we can have these beaches open because honestly, I think they should do what they're doing in Australia. They should have the beaches open for recreational exercise use. That includes surfing, that includes running, that includes biking, that includes swimming, that includes fishing. There should be no loitering. You should not be able to set up an umbrella. You should not be able to set down a towel. You should not be able to bring a cooler. And that's exactly what happened on Newport last weekend. And that's what messed everything up. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. Also, one of the biggest factors here is that people need to have a little common sense and respect. Okay, have respect for other people. Okay, and this goes back to not crossing counties. I am, right now, I live close to the San Diego border. I technically do go surf Oceanside on normal circumstances. I could go surf Oceanside all day long now because they're open in San Diego. But you know what? Out of respect for their spot, I don't want to put heat on their spot. I am not going to go. 
This is not normal circumstances. And I think we should all take it upon ourselves to make a little bit of a sacrifice for all our fellow people, for all our fellow surfers, and not cross those lines. When I hear that entire families were coming from LA, and you know who you are, because we, we know a bunch of you, and you were taking your families and going to beaches like Salt Creek, like Newport, you're basically creating the problem and you're ruining it for other people. That's what happened here is a lot of people ruined it. For, so for us right now, our beaches are closed temporarily. Again, temporarily. What we need to do is we need to buckle down. We need to sit here. We need to prove to our local and our state and our federal government that we can take care of this, okay? Acting out, posting memes, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's really rich to see rich trust fund kids from Malibu post memes while their daddies pay their bills. To be honest, it's a little ridiculous. There's a big situation out there. Economy's collapsing, people are dying. Come on, it's a little bit bigger than surfing. So to, to see people just say F this, F that when they don't even pay their bills kind of makes me laugh, okay? To be honest. Um, so I think just be aware of the local politics. Let's be law abiding. Let's really be out there. But at the same token, we need to have our voices heard. Now, how can we have our voices for, heard? There's a bunch of petitions going out there. There's again, be in touch with your local politicians. And this goes for all over the country. Just be in touch with them. Be in touch with your local chapter of the Surfrider Foundation. Also, be in touch with your local surf clubs. So, you know, for me, it's I'm a member of the San Onofre Surf Club. I've been communicating with people from it. I've been seeing what's been going on. They've been keeping in touch, all that kind of stuff. In general, we need to have more of a level head. We are all very angry. We are all very frustrated. We've all been in our homes for almost eight weeks now. I mean, believe me, I more than anyone else, I'm going nuts. But this is a very sensitive and crazy time. This is a once in a century event. And we have the ability to rise to the occasion. We have the ability to be human beings, decent people, level headed and figure out what we can do, not only for our surfing community, but for our bigger community at large, by really taking the proper steps and not trying to break the rules and make it worse. The worst thing you wanna do is act like children because we'll get treated like children. Let's start acting like adults. Let's be responsible, let's take control of the situation, and let's make it better. Not just for the beaches, but in turn, make it better so this virus does actually flatten out and we can all get back to normal life sooner than later. Because the more times that we cross county lines, the more times we go to other beaches, the more times we break through fences, there's nothing actually that heroic about it. There's nothing heroic about it. All that is is showing the selfishness and the, the instinct taking over. Let's try to be a bit, little bit more level heaven. Let's take our anger, let's focus it, let's get our beaches back. Let's all work together and then we can handle this. That's my spiel. I put a bunch of links in this episode description to stories, to other things. I'm gonna keep updating it. I honestly wanna see everybody in the beach, believe me, more than anyone else. But let's just not be selfish. Let's think of other people and let's be really cognizant of how we're taking care of this situation and follow the proper steps. At least that's my opinion. You can listen to it or not. I don't really give a shit. But anyway, hope you guys enjoy the tracks. Hope you guys enjoy what I've been putting forward. I'm going to get back to them and check in with you guys in a little bit. Peace. I'm the one to blame. 
when your kids be your bad See they up all night, party way past dead Yo, body spread out, couples hitting locations No discrepancies, release of frustration I got them rotating, line them up, set the station Tune into the server, serving new information The best kept secret is the things that we doing Baby, you and kings take the place in this union I'm moving and choosing maneuvers, letting loose all the losers To do the impossible with my team of new producers In a minute, a major animal, animal instinct Becomes my intimate, tangible imprint The new infant playing with blocks and pig pens Taking up bodies, Barbies, loving their interests I do wonder what goes wrong when I don't do right The future has an odd smell, still so nice So 
can call me a Coco. Is you loco? Cash or credit for unleaded? That's a no go. KMD and third base is this ace in the hole. I mean, soul. So make the gas face. Damn, if looks can kill. You look like your host was a ghost from your grill, but still. What's the new fad to recollect to a passing phase? The back days to 80 death for my labor reads good. Street my habitat is no pick any card or no rabbit from my hat. Never a magician if I ever tricked them. Oh shit. Another gas face victim. There it is, yo, fellas, man. Why don't you step That's to the mic, man? Hey yo, good looking out, Don, man. Peace. Punji. Yo, who gets the gas face? Drink some liquor, sit down and write a jam and proceed the motherfucking sticker. As God is my witness, with the sickness of a cannibalist cannabis, I floats like a cumulus. My perpetual rebel intellectual won't catch a bad experience with a hallucinogenic either. I flow simply with the cannabis sativa. As my speech falls deepers in the scriptures and graphic components like Picasso paying pictures. If my eyes ain't red, it's all in my head, once said by a PhD med. Legalize and I advertise, cuz. publicity stunt. I get high like if the man in the moon be buffing blunt. But barely, barely, nearly isn't dope but a dream. Step into my chambers and intervene the smoke screen. I captivated the motivated, jealous of my desire. Smoke it down to the fire, anything to get a little higher. I've been to college, but to be truthfully frank, weed is knowledge cause it makes me think. I'm big anatomy and reality like job. Rosters read the Bible, at the buffers it's familiar. And the seeds that gets me high and fly. I ain't bullshitting, you can ask Bill Clinton, he can verify that. Roll a Philly ingot. Roll a Ziggy ingot. Roll a Philly ingot. Roll a Ziggy ingot. Step into this intersection to take this route. I got a vicious plot, but first take me by the weed spot. I do this for my niggas locked down, running capers. Smoking herb in the Bible papers But how does it feel when you got no fire? It can't bust the dungeon from the left hand side 
What the fuck? Who the fuck wanna fuck with the six shot shooter? I murder you over Buddha. Well, I discuss a bust around style nucleus and roast them ghosts. Puffin' hocus pocus, so kid. Pass that bomb, try word by so I can toke it with more wins than a python. Different strokes for different folks. He like the chocolate tie, you like to float with the green skunky smoke. Roll up a fat one and pass it around. Lay back, hypnotized to the funky sound. Go through 
a cycle, so confused Confused between the Bible and all the right But watch them stifle You me your son, go escalate this And get these papers, run some capers While they cast the vapors Yeah, son, don't got no time for no chickens Tricking, it's a lyrical addiction Cause we at AZ, we politics Six digits tricking, coke and Henny mixing Many listen, fuck it, give me mine I wanna see no penny missing It's all tradition, how we clicking for all in position The rap coalition, we getting vision Six digits tricking, coke and Henny mixing Many listen, fuck it, give me mine I wanna see no penny missing It's all tradition, how we clicking for all in position The rap coalition, we getting vision Six digits tricking, coke and Henny mixing Many listen, fuck it, give me mine I wanna see no penny missing It's all tradition, how we clicking for all in position The rap coalition, we getting vision Six digits tricking, coke and Henny mixing Many listen, fuck it, give me mine I wanna see no penny missing It's all tradition, how we clicking for all in position The rap coalition, we getting vision Change their fucking name I eradicate move fakers Roll with coke shakers Get dapped to mad money makers Shared cells with life takers Had sex with rum shaker I make moves so I'm an earthquaker I've been known to instill fear Although the world may be round We still trapped in the square City life got me bugging and tripe Some die by the gun Some die by the knife It's alright Like a game of spades and trump type Premier hit me with music To assure that it done right And my flight will be taken solely at night Cause that's when the freaks come out No doubt And in the dark hours is when I was showered With the knowledge of my trade to get paid Still I make moves like a snake in the grass Round about I be dicking it down while you be asked out Puff mad L's but never passed out And if I'm caught up in the jam I blast my way out There'll be no letting up Just straight shutting up Or we'll start to wetting up Lyrical infrared set to never miss ya Big Shook, Google, Freddy Fox, the militia, militia Everybody spitting if the rhyme is hot Cause it's Big Shook, Guru, and Freddy the Fox When Premier bring the beats, no, it just don't stop It's the militia, militia. Everybody spitting if the rhyme is hot Cause it's Big Shook, Guru, and Freddy the Fox When Premier bring the beats, no, it just don't stop It's the militia no man but to command and scoop up the troops when it's time to take a stand emphatically deep strategies leave casualties i creep gradually till everybody knows that i got more flows than rosebud got hoes the anger inside had me trapped till i got geared up with rats to tear you up like big gats for big stacks watch your back when i send them in pop you trembling my name and face you're remembering several attempts but nah bitch you'll never win rhyme special skin or maybe limbs will be severing take it to the mat beat that you should keep back my Kid format will lay you flat like a doormat that I walk on I meditate while you talk on and gossip So I drop my hot shit, fully loaded Glock clips So get the fuck up my block, kid As nights turn to days, days go back to nights We be speaking it right and keeping it tight up in the street life I meet life head on, no holds barred Born with a heart of gold, now mostly cold and scarred On guard, choose your weapon or get to stepping Lyrical bullets make you dance from the trance you be kept in Assessments I made before and during combat I master my hunger, blow the spot when I bomb cats One of us equals many of us 
us Disrespect one of us, you'll see plenty of us Conflict is what I predict You and your fellas is mad jealous Attempting to flit it We cleverly stalk you Your fam will miss you The war's on That's why we formed a militia Militia What works? Live those who goes with broke. Murk to get murk. Live by the sword and die by the semi. Not part of my ways, but stays right in my NY mentality for me to be the best. The current, the ones who weren't pressed to confess lies over hot joints to sell to all who wanna hear some. Young as these days got fireproof eardrums. They don't give a shit who's hot, just as long as you're not pussy and be the would be king. But, but once crowned, the same wanna pull you down. And what makes the world go round? And I be the world renowned, wonder why. Wondering why you can't stand me Is it because I'm the main Jackson And y'all just Tito's and Randy Yes it is Bless the kid who holds his own head And expect the last At the same time I want respect and cash And a few paragraphs in the books Telling you how a native tongues made hits with no hooks Wrapped in every prefix since gave birth The rap remixes back in 88 No disrespect to Diddy Just setting it straight Instead of zigzagging Got a degree in bragging My daughter says I'm a teen Cause like a teen my Pants always sagging and I walk with a bop The sack's part of my time, I walk from my pop No longer on Tommy and was never on loud But cook rhymes to make the chef for woo proud I'm top cloud, the rain on your show is still anything goes when it comes to hoes because Houston, it's come on, New York, come on, Detroit, come on, come on, damn, Miami, come on, LA, come on, Vegas, come on, come on, damn, Boston, come on, Tucson, come on, Sunshine, nigga, she was once mine Had bottom in her drawers, I used to hit it from the mids 
Fix your playground play else Some kids will come stomp in your sandbox Swollen hands cocked back No knives, no drama, no guns No disrespect in your seat of my dudes I puke rhyme in your lap Take a sniff of these fricassee raps On Caribbean riffs See last night's change was today's toll money No time for your freestyles to roll money No more whack albums with two joints No more ball playing rappers to shoot you two points No, no more. more G cause I'm sick of your hip hop Your flows ball like seashores with no bitches Switch hitting niggas will receive no pitches No diamonds on the field just keep the game real, real. Simple, see the God flows healthy Wealth in the mind is like money, money in the, the bank, bank. <laughs> Exchange cash like thoughts and conversation Thank you for your purchases we dole out And roll, roll out, out the Kool-Aid color carpet <laughs> See this pimp strut ain't really pimping I'm trying to catch the bus Crush food ain't got, got shit on cold crush We dolly dolly babies cause we shoot cats Back to the future rap with Doc Brown shotgunning it And Panty holds your whole style and start running it You dudes fiddle while we stay on the cello Mush in your room son we stay portobello Can't settle for the same picket white fence I got dreams about Why in front of factories, Paul? Still push the truck with the factories, Paul. I'm bound to wreck the whip and turn insurance out. Make them shout. Come on, Oakland. Come on, UK. Come on, come on, damn. New Orleans. Come on, Lil Rock. Come on, B Boy. Come on, come on, damn. Memphis. Come on, Utah. Come on, Jersey. Come on, come on, damn. Atlanta. Come on, Brooklyn. Come on, Philly. Come on, come on, damn. Yeah, that's right. Flavor flame with daylight. So, Expo, and we knock you straight up in the hole, you know what I'm saying? Six feet deep, that's the way that we keep rolling, you know what I'm saying? Operation Tax Sensation in the nation, ready to take it to Penn Station, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Long is land, that's where we is, man. <laughs> Daylight So, you done it again. Welcome back to volume 62 of the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Hope there were some surprises in there. I bet you didn't know some of those people are actually from Long Island or associated with Long Island hip hop. Long Island has a really rich history of hip hop and street culture, skate culture, surf culture, all that stuff. Uh, I spent a lot of time out there in Long Island with uh, Ray Matei, Gino Iannucci, that whole crowd, you know. Keith and all of us would go in from the city and take the Long Island Railroad for weekends and it was basically like a skate park to us. It was like new spots, new fun things to do. We're not, we weren't suburban kids so we didn't know anything about it. And through that we were actually introduced to groups like Leaders of the New School and a lot of tribe stuff. I remember the first time that I heard NWA straight out of Compton was going to John Buscemi's 14-year-old birthday party where he had a bunch of skate ramps in his cul-de-sac. And that was the first time I heard that and I was like, whoa, what is this? This is insane. Uh, so that's my own recollection of, recollection of Long Island. I spent summers out there. I also uh, had a little house share on Fire Island, used to fish out of Rocky Point. It's got a really rich history, so I wanted to tap into that a little bit with this episode as a nod to Mikey and where he's from. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, for merch, wrap-ups of 
Wednesdays with Worm, links to things we're working on, films, all that kind of stuff. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player for track listings, links to things that we're talking about, especially with the beach closures and other stuff. But let's get right into some short takes. The first short take I have is this video that popped up from Critters uh, Toy Co. Critters Toy Co is basically a surf company out of Los Angeles. I met these guys at a surf swap, I think like, I'm trying to think, maybe three years ago. And I love what they do. I love their whole vibe. Uh, they're kind of on this total like, just out there tip in terms of surfboard design to what they're doing. And they were making a bunch of shortboards for uh, Noro, Velasquez was uh, surfing some shortboards, Joe Rippenbaugh, and I never really thought of them as like a longboard company, you know, like everybody tries to make a longboard, but the, you know, it doesn't always work out. But this video that they put out is of Joe Rippenbaugh uh, riding one of their um, new longboards that they have out. And it's a fun video. I love seeing Joe surf. We've had him on the podcast. He's a great guy. I love the whole vibe of this, especially the jazz <laughs> the way it's edited. It's just really fun. Like when I see videos like this pop up on my radar, it's a nice departure from that just typical like a la la's track and this dreamy thing and like that's so much longboard footage is, which is just like it starts getting annoying. This was just kind of like a nice like fun clip they put together. You could tell they put it together really fast in an afternoon and it's just really cool. I'm actually curious to see this longboard in person. It looks kind of fun and looks like it would be really great in beach breaks. Uh, but anyway, we have a link to this video. Um, hope you guys like it. So check it out in the description. The second short take I have is this clip that Robots From put out called Between Two Jetties featuring Scotty Stopnik and has a little appearance by JJ Wessels, which is really cool. Again, I love Kevin's work. I love what he does. The thing that I love about his work is it's it's not like cookie cutter in terms of if you look at all his clips, it's not the same thing. There is a consistent, I think it's called, an, like I would call it an attention to detail and not even a vibe. There's a consistent, you know, just something there more in the art direction tip kind of thing, but none of it looks the same. The music's not ever the same. He really tailors it. And this is a really cool clip because it's a spot that a lot of people don't know about. And again, that's the other reason I love it. I love seeing surf clips of like random spots. Like I could do without another surf clip from Malibu or Sano ever again. I don't need to see that again. But seeing something like this is really cool. And Scotty Stopnik is an amazing surfer. And this is just a fun clip they shot. I love it. I love what Robots did. Make sure to check it out. Also, make sure to check out his website because he finally put up a website where he's doing more stuff on and building out his content. So that's a central hub where he has a lot of stuff. So you don't have to even go to his Instagram account in a sense, but you could just basically look at his website and see what he's putting up. The last short take I have is this short take that came via the crew over at the Single Fin Mingle. The Single Fin Mingle is a contest that happens in the, the Southern Island of New Zealand that a lot of people were supposed to go this year and it just didn't work out obvious, for obvious reasons. And this is a clip they sent my way which was called The Road to the Mingle, which is a really fun clip because it shows the background of like what that event is and what the vibe is in, in uh, New Zealand. I love New Zealand. I've only been there once in my life, but during my honeymoon, I want to go back so bad. And I think honestly, after all this is over, I think I'm going to go to the single fin mingle next year. I'm just going to make a commitment because 
One thing that I've learned through all of this is we take travel for granted. We don't know what's really gonna happen. Uh, so check out this clip, it's really cool. It has Joe, who's a local here, um, who I've seen surf more and more over the last year, who's amazing. I believe he writes for, uh, for Dark Seas and uh, Trent introduced me to him. But check out this clip, we have a link to it in our episode description and I hope you guys enjoy. But that's it for this episode. You know, a lot of stuff is going on out there. It's very complex. Look, this is a once in a century event. This is something that our parents haven't lived through. Our grandparents haven't even lived through, okay? So we have to really realize that there's no playbook for this. Uh, there's no right or wrong. There's, we're battling something that actually we don't know much about in terms of a virus. You know, every day we're learning something new, but it's the equivalent of us basically turning on a candle in a dark stadium. Every day we're turning on one more candle, but we still aren't seeing who's playing on the center stage. So, you know, look, let's just try to like take a step back, be thankful for the things we have. Yes, there's a lot of things that we're worried about and we're angry about, but we should take that anger and focus it in a more positive direction for change, for the betterment of our community, for the betterment of our society, for the betterment of our country. But with that, I'm gonna leave it to our last famous words. No need to cause a craze on a wave. For you guys that are able to surf out there, Florida, San Diego, Ventura, Santa Cruz, OBX, all over the world that you're able to surf. I love you guys and I'll keep watching and I'll see you out there. Peace. When you get up to the city, you better lock your door. When you get up to the city, you better lock your door. You know they'll take what you got, boy, and then they'll ask for more.
Swiss pavilion, dressy, salad bar style, nestling for white niggas. Covered in best pieces, think like a mall click. Guess who like Patsy in the mass piece bus? Got aggravated, slap the glass pieces, one nigga beaming. Faggot ass, lay on the floor, yeah, fuck me. Todd is broken arms, who is hush puppies wrapped around drama. Everything realer than fuck. To wanna let my nigga knee slip, comma. Three young Italians, suited down, personal style. I'm in velour white, designing on the dallions. Felt like some crackers was in back of me. Spit on the clerk, pass the happy Winston set, ghost back at me. Bust the shot motive, four mail and paperwork law. We get together once more before we blow this. Murdered nobody, left them all baseball down, brother. Three wicked ass sixes, Gucci colors. Got dead on the floor, nigga, pass the keys in the door. Pass me all the cash in the drawer. Or oh, I promise you'll be paying the price. Feeling like a nigga dying twice, execute the world's greatest diamond. Heist. Y'all niggas know we got to get this. Come on. Somewhere in Africa, the feds is after us Vest on my back, dipping the Acarus Feel like a Mac bussin' A brother question on percussion I bust in your gate, nigga, it's nothing A hailstorm, ice raining Mind containing, info Nigga, what you in for, complaining Six bars deep in this language Did I tell you how my day spent? Speaking through the face of Ronald Reagan Iceberg history, calligraphy Kaleidoscope colors, hollowhead shells And fleeing gunmen, hate to see me coming Like gray skies, your day of judgment Makes you wonder where the love went Hit a nigga, feed him to some buzzers, put up numbers, plus I'm one that pushes muggin', we dug in the safe, check what I'm hugging. rocks the size of some shit out in the Congo, my arms full, let's get the fuck out, bust, hey, yo, we got do you. great study on fossils and stones like archaeologists, gemologists, collect the most precious sizes, anonymous, canary stones, yellow like a pumpkin, Dunkin' Donut precious size stones, make me wanna cut the safe open, way past the blowtorch, ghost brought the dynamite stick, Marciano brought a chisel with a nice pick, princess cuts, invisible settings, planning the world's greatest diamond heist, playing the tomb, my oldest shredding icicle cones hang from the ceiling just like stalagmites. Time to throw on a scully and tie the rag tight. Throw it like an orphan in the basket. Grab the necklace from off the satin pillow out the glass casket. Ice lay across the crust, burgundy velvet up in the diamond slide tray. Gun in your face, slide it right away. Round table with happy Marishnikov and the rest of them Jewish niggas. Got the niggas drunk and talking foolish. See, you know the way we straight manipulated this shit. We swindle them niggas for all their precious things before we skated and shit. Yeah, y'all niggas know we skated early. Disguise ourselves. Is a city Jews and even left our sideburns curly. Bounce to Mexico and spend some pesos and bury the diamonds on an island you never heard like Turks and Caicos. Every time we hit, we in and out quick. Don't be surprised if we behind supplying niggas all the platinum and shit. Yeah, the world's greatest jewel heist. Steezo, blur your optics so you can't see the topic of this in combo. Blade, bring the heat to your moaning like Alonzo. Head honcho like Eastwood, gun in my poncho. Another bad desperado. Trapped in between the hills and the Eldorados. But you can't do that. Welcome to the Wheel of Fortune where Pat don't say that. Bring it to these cats off and the biggest payback is when I condemn men to purgatory. Stick a pen, do them in. Eight million stories in the naked Mr. Method. Blade runner, blood stain on my track record. Top gunner. You know it's sick now, just a little bit. Oh shit, can't quit now. Hard as a brick. What's this? Make them get down. And where I fit, more grip. Hold the shit down. She don't know you better school up. Step on my side.
Mission agenda, mind bender, no retreat, no surrender. Head trauma, death before dishonor sword and golden armor. Undetected stealth bomber, blow the session. Where the macular conception hit your section with my death squad connection. The green eye bandit, E double up, damn it. Iron lung flow tastes like a knuckle sandwich. Now you know, it's time that I take advantage. Take command, yo, cops caught me red handed. Blood on the dance floor, or was it Michael Jackson? Fuck it, time for some action. Check my reruns and see what's happening. You know it's sick now, just a little bit. All shit, can't quit now. Hard as a brick, what's this? Make them get down. And where I fit, more grip, hold the shit down. She don't know you better stole up. Step by step, inch by inch. Step by inch, step by inch. Inch by inch, piece by piece. Brick by brick. You know it's sick now, just a little bit. All shit, can't quit now. Hard as a brick, what's this? Before she get her back blown, jealous man don't understand and get clapped on. Now I'm reloading, automate and keep it going. Right in the jack, running track like I'm Jesse Owens. Catch it with my rap slogan, Jack Frost, leave them frozen. Bust flows and never latex without my Trojan. Handwritten ass whipping, I keep spitting at any head on collision. Throw dart with precision and split decision. Tell your old folk and your children what I'm dealing. Good times and hood rhymes from the villain. Till I see you at the Ooh building, motherfuckers. You know what's sick now, just a little bit. All shit, can't quit now. Hard as a brick, what's this? Make them get down. And where I fit, more grip, hold the shit down. She don't know you better school her. Step by step, inch by inch. Step by inch, step by inch. Step by step, inch by inch. This one is dedicated to my big head niggas and all them big head bitches, all them big head bitches.